Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Exodus, chapter 17. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. So what we have here is Israel is journeying. They are running out of water. They're probably squeezing their wineskins for water. It's hot. It's humid. It's the desert. They get to Rephidim, which is supposed to be a resting stop. And they don't find any water there. And the people, according to the Bible, tells us that they began to contend with Moses. What we have here is a bunch of unhappy campers. They began to contend with Moses. And they said to Moses, they said, oh yeah, now we know you've brought us out here to kill us and so that we would die of thirst. And Pastor Moses said, why are you yelling at me? Your beef is with the Lord. He's the one who led us here. And so Moses goes to God, according to our text. And God says, or Moses says to God, God, the people are ready to kill me. What do I do? I would have probably thought, kill them first. No, just kidding. God said, did you notice in your text? Look in your text again. God said to them, God said to Moses, God said, take the elders with you. Now, I really don't know why. I spent a good bit of time wondering why God would say that. I really don't know why. Maybe because Moses needed some bodyguards or something. I, I don't really know why. But God said, take the elders with you. Probably for witness, probably for, you know, accountability, witness, whatever. But take the elders with you and take the famous rod. Do you, did you see that in your text? Take the famous rod, the one that you threw down before. The rod that you used to turn the water to blood. The rods that, rod that you raised up over the Red Sea and it parted. Take the rod and go, God says, and I will meet you before the rock in Horeb. As I told you, that's Mount Sinai. And God said, Moses, I want you to take that rod and I want you to smite the rock. And from the rock, water will come forth and the people will drink and their thirst will be quenched. Now, listen closely. I'm going to tell you two stories from the Bible. The first story is found in John chapter seven. Perhaps you're familiar with this story. In John chapter seven, it's the great day of the feast. Millions of people are gathered around. The priest would stand on these stairs. Listen, kind of get the scene in your mind's eye. The priest would stand on these stairs, and, and, and at the same time, he would pour the water, and the water would run down the stairs, and the wine. And the water and the wine mix as it runs down the stairs, and it would empty out on the ground and flow down the stairs. It was at that moment in John chapter 7, I think they had this, verse on the screen that Jesus said he says if anyone thirsts 
Matter of fact, it is there. If anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. And he who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning who, saints? The spirit whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Listen, as the water is mixing, going down the stairs, this rabbi, his name is Jesus, comes in and he begins to basically yell. He begins to shout out this, this verse. And I'm sure everybody stopped and I'm sure everybody looked. That's one story. Now let me tell you another story. The Samaritan woman, I know you're familiar with this story. The woman at the well, remember? She was drawing water. Jesus walked up to her and asked her for a drink. And she was shocked because Jews and Samaritans, they don't talk to each other. They have no relationship together. There was a lot of racism in those days as it relates to Jews and Samaritans. And Jesus asked her for a drink. And she said, how is it that you being a Jew ask me for water? And then in John chapter 4, around verse 10 through 14, Jesus then answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And then, listen, Jesus goes on to say, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst again. I love those two stories. Can I tell you something? Every man, every woman, every boy, and every girl is thirsty for something. Deep down inside, we are all barren, dry, empty, and frustrated. Every man has a God-shaped hole in their hearts that prior to becoming a Christian needs to be filled. You know, somebody once called it this, and I don't know who it was, but they call this God-shaped hole in the heart, they called it the vacuum of the soul. I like that. And people try to fill, I know because I was there, people try to fill this God-shaped hole with many, many things. Drugs, sex, alcohol, party, money, power, fame, humanism, materialism, you name it, any other ism. People try to fill that God-shaped hole with the things of the world. Every man is thirsty and wants to be filled. They want to be filled, and they don't want to be filled by church because church can't fill anyone. Somebody say amen. And they don't want to be filled by religion because religion can't fill anyone. Somebody say amen. The only thing that can fill a man, don't you know where I'm going? The only thing that can fill the God-shaped hole in a man, a woman, boy, or girl's heart is who? Jesus. Can I get a witness? Because every Christian can say amen to that. Every Christian who has tried even to fill that God-shaped hole, 
Uh, you know, with all kinds of things. Uh, look, I wasn't born a Christian. I didn't get saved to January 23rd, 1982. That means up till January 22nd, 1982, I was trying to fill the God-shaped hole with all kinds of things. Only to come to find out and come to learn that only Jesus can fill that God-shaped hole. And just like Jesus said to the woman at the well, and he said, standing on the temple stairs, he said, if anyone is thirsty, they need to come to me. The rock. He is the rock. Can somebody write that song? Jesus is the rock of my salvation. He sang it here at church. The choir sang it. The rock of my salvation. He's the rock. Now, again, in type, if you're taking notes, in type, in our text, Jesus, this rock, speaks of Jesus. I think you already know the rock here in our text does not refer to WWF Smackdown. <laughs> Y'all understand? That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about Jesus. Jesus is the type of the rock. Now, what makes you say that, Rodney? Well, the Bible is very clear, and the Holy Spirit left no room for guessing on this one. It's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 4, and it reads this, Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all of our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual, what saints? Rock, note that followed them, and that rock was who? Christ. The Holy Spirit left no room for surmising, discussion, ambiguity, nothing. We know in type, in our text, this rock is a picture of Jesus Christ. And you know, as I was looking at this verse today, I saw something. Because how many of you guys know you can read the Bible over and over and over again, and you'll learn something new every time you read it? Is that anybody? All right, only 20 of y'all? Well, look, it's still true if you don't believe it, all right? And, and so I'm reading the Bible, and I never saw this, this point in this verse. Notice it says, for they drank of that spiritual rock. Did you know this? that followed them. I can't help it in my mind to think for like 38 years, everywhere they went, this rock like got feet and was like. <laughs> I don't know, man. It's just like, you know, didn't we see that thing over in another campsite? <laughs> and then they move on and then they see it again and they go, dang. That's, that looks exactly like that same rock. It followed them. I, it's in the Bible. I'm not making this up. I mean, it followed them. All throughout the Bible, we talk about the rock and type, and the rock is Jesus. All throughout the Bible, you can see that. As David prayed in Psalm 61, verse 2, David said, From the end of the earth I will cry unto you. And this is a beautiful verse. For when my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Psalm 78, verse 35, for you Bible students taking notes, Psalm 78, 35, you can read that in your own time. I don't have time tonight. 
in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 6 through 8, all talk about Jesus being the rock, Jesus being the stone. Notice in your Bibles again, it says, Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock. Look at verse 6. And you shall strike the rock. Now, I had you pay particular attention to that, that you should strike the rock and water should come forth. I want you to know that in Psalm 78, verse 16, in case you may not be getting this, but when the water comes forth from the rock, we are not talking about enough water for everybody to get their tongue wet. Psalm 78, verse 16 tells us that there was in, the water came gushing forth like a river, like a river, water from a rock. It's a miracle. And water came gushing forth like a river. It just wasn't a bit of water. It was rivers of water gushing forth. And Moses took his rod and he struck the rock just like God said, and the water came forth. And of course, we know that the people's thirst was quenched. Approximately, listen, 38 years later, we have a whole new generation. And they are doing the same thing. Remember I told you that Israel, you know, there was two constants. And God was constantly faithful. And Israel was constantly complaining. And that's true. Because 38 years later, we see Israel again grumbling and complaining. It's a different generation complaining about water. And so they complain to Moses. And Moses goes to tell God. The people are complaining. What should I do? And God tells Moses, listen closely. God said, Moses, I want you to speak to the rock. And Mo, when you speak to the rock, the water will come gushing forth. Oh, you know the story. And so Moses goes to the people, and he stands before the people, and he actually, listen, he misrepresents God because he stands before the people, and he's got his rod in his hand, and he says, you stiff-necked people always complaining, always whining, call 1-800-WAH, I'm sick of you people. And, you know, he's just going on and on and on about the people. And he takes that rod, and he does what? He strikes the rock. Now, God told him to do what? Speak to the rock. Moses struck the rock in disobedience to God. And God said, Moses, you made a boo-boo. He says, and because of that, you won't be able to go into the promised land. Why? Was God being harsh? Was God being mean? Why such a big deal? God said, speak to the rock this time. And Moses, why such a big deal? Well, listen, it's a huge deal. And here's why. Because Moses was messing up the prophetic picture. Listen, if Christ is the rock and God told Moses to strike the rock the first time, well, the prophetic picture, as you fast forward 1,500 years, we see Jesus there being beaten we see Jesus there being struck. And when he's hanging on the cross and they take a sword and they stick him in the side, we see what? Blood and water come flowing out the first time. And Jesus only need to be struck, smitten of God, Isaiah tells us, one time. 
And now, if anyone wants to be saved, if anyone wants to be born again, if anybody wants to receive this Holy Spirit that Jesus talks about, if any man is thirsty for, then he doesn't need to be smitten again, and you don't need to be smitten. All you need to do is speak to the rock. You ask him, and he will. If you ask, you shall receive. And so the reason for God's harsh judgment on Moses is because Moses is messing up the prophetic picture which isn't taking place yet. And God says, Moses, because of that, you cannot go into the promised land. Now, anyone who wants to be saved, they don't need, Jesus doesn't need to go back to the cross. Say amen. All they need to do is say, Lord, I believe in the first time you were smitten. And that's good enough. And the blood that flows washes me, cleanses me from my sin. Now all you have to do is speak to the rock. Well, look at verse 8 through 16. Verse 8. You there? Say amen. Now, Amalek. This is very, very interesting. I want you to pay close attention. Now, Amalek came and fought with Israel in Rephidim. And Moses said to Joshua, Choose us some men and go out, fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the, what saints? The rod of God. Don't you love that? I just like that name. I want to put it on something. You know? Hey, if, I, I got an idea. If you have, like, small children... And, and you got like the little paddle for their little heinies. Just right on there, the rod of God. I got to use this name somewhere, man. Notice the rod of God in my hand. And so Joshua in verse 10, did as Moses said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses and Aaron and her went up to the top. Her, the guy, not her, her, but her, a guy's name went up to the top of the hill. And so it was when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands became heavy. So, that, so they took a stone and they put it under him. And he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And so Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. And then the Lord said to Moses, write this for a memorial in the book and recount it in the hearing of Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called its name, what saints? The Lord is my banner, for he said, because the Lord has sworn, the Lord will have war with Amalek, underline this, from generation to generation. Stop right there. Give me your attention. They have just been refreshed at Rephidim by water from the rock. And just around the bend, there's a battle. Notice in verse 1 in your Bibles, Amalek came and fought with Israel in Rephidim came and fought with Israel in Rephidim. Now, we talked about this in chapter 13, 
and I think it's probably worthy to be pointed out again, that the whole time, listen, the whole time that Israel is making their way out of Egypt and through the wilderness, God protected them from battle. Chapter 13, verse 17 tells us that God did not lead them by the land of the Philistines because the people would have become fearful and not trust God and turn back. You see, God knew that if the people saw these big, tough Philistines, they would be afraid. And rightly so, because remember, they were slaves in Egypt, not soldiers. They were wimps, not warriors. They didn't know how to fight. So God intentionally led them a different way so that they would not have to run into the Philistines. God didn't allow them to face any battles. When they came out of Egypt, God didn't make them fight. Think about it, their deliverance from Egypt. What did they have to do? Nothing, honey. Nothing. God judged the Egyptians. God parted the Red Sea. God destroyed the Egyptian army. God turned the water sweet at Mirah. They didn't do that. They needed food and they didn't have any resources to get any. And God provided manna. God was protecting them and not allowing them to engage in anything. But note this, just around the bend from Rephidim, this is the first time that God lets them become a part of the battle. And they are fighting the Amalekites. Now, who are they? The Amalekites are descendants of who knows? No one knows. The Amalekites are descendants of, do y'all know? Somebody, I hear some whispering going on. Esau, you're right, Esau, descendants of Esau. And the Amalekites are the perpetual problem for the people of Israel. The Amalekites in scripture in type, if you're taking notes, represent the flesh, the flesh. I want you to listen close. I want you to hear what I'm saying. Chapter 16 and chapter 17 is, we have a bunch of types. And it's very interesting because these types are ordered. They're in order. What do you mean? Well, in chapter 16, are you listening? Say amen. In chapter 16, we see the bread of life. Jesus comes down to the earth. Manna in chapter 16. And then you see Jesus Christ, the rock, is smitten by the judgment of God in chapter 17. And then you see from the rock in chapter 17, the water comes forth, which speaks of life. And then the next thing we see, or we just read in verses 8 through 16, we just read of these Amalekites. And I told you that the Amalekites represent the flesh. Listen, the type is perfect. It is a Holy Spirit thing. Don't you know, I found this to be true. You put your faith in Jesus. You give your life to Christ. You receive the Holy Spirit. And then all of a sudden, you realize there's a struggle in my flesh. Just me? All of a sudden, you realize there's this struggle in the flesh. There's these things that used to not bother you. 
I mean, prior to you becoming a Christian, you could do anything you wanted to do, and it didn't even concern you. You never thought, that's wrong. You never thought, that's bad. You never thought, man, this may hurt the heart of God or quench the Holy Spirit. But as soon as you became a Christian, now all of a sudden you realize, listen, that there is a war going on and there's a battle in the flesh. I don't know about you, but I realized that when I became a Christian. And the interesting thing is that every Christian, listen close, every Christian thinks every other Christian isn't having a struggle in the flesh. So we don't talk about it. We just don't say nothing. Because after all, I mean, you're in church and everybody in church is holy. Isn't that true? So nobody talks about the struggle. Nobody talks about, hey, you know, I'm struggling in the flesh because, you know, nobody wants to acknowledge that, that, the, other, that the other's having a struggle. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch in Calvary Chapel, Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.